play action. Fires caught. Diggs for the score. Diggs looked like he was getting a little frustrated, and sure enough, takes all of four seconds to get him into the end zone. 48 yards total on the drive. Can they make it pay off here? Allen running and throws, and it's caught by Gabe Davis in the end zone. Josh Allen doing Josh Allen things, the story of the night for the Buffalo Bills as they methodically dismantled the New England Patriots 24-10 on Thursday night football. The game wasn't as good as we had hoped it would be. Then again, when it's the Bills and Patriots lately, it's not a very good game, especially in Foxborough. Three straight wins there for the Bills, all by more than a score. And we say good morning. It's PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. Peter King back. You missed last Friday, but then again, so did I. So you didn't miss anything. Now we're here for two hours to talk about last night and everything else coming. Week 13 is upon us. Good morning, Peter. Mike, speaking, good morning. Speaking of everything else that's coming, you see that I have my Ohio University shirt on today. And I just want to say before we get into how wonderful the New England Patriots looked last night, Um, I do want to say that at least one school must uphold the honor of the great state of Ohio in football. After their performance in Columbus last Saturday, the Ohio Bobcats will play the Toledo Rockets Saturday afternoon in Detroit, attempting to win their first Mid-American Conference Championship since 1968. So I just want to say this. I'm always dispassionate. But go Bobcats. Now, on with the show, Mike. <laughs> yes, go Bobcats indeed. Bobcats versus Toledo. At least some team from Ohio is going some to team make from Ohio it right will win. Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, hello to the audience on Peacock Series XM85. Sky Sports NFL, I think we're live. And just by saying that, I have guaranteed that I will get at least seven emails this segment from our friends in the UK and or Ireland saying you are indeed live. Telling you whether so you're live. Are, <laughs> hello. Well, they won't know if we're not, but we'll find out if yeah. we are. I have just guaranteed. I have signed the certificate guaranteeing that, but which is fine, which is fine. When you put your email address out there, as you do in your Football Morning in America column, you know that people are going to respond. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not, but we're there. We're available for whatever anyone may want to say whenever they want to say it. Also, hello to the podcast audience. They get a little testy if we don't include them. And even though the podcast audience doesn't get up at 7 a.m. Eastern or 4 a.m. Pacific or anywhere in between to listen or watch live, you still count as listeners in our book. All right, let's get to it. Third straight win for the Bills. They're now 9-3. and three. They have rebounded well from that loss to the Vikings on the roller coaster ride plus every other ride in the amusement park thrown into it in one. They've won the two games in Detroit. They went through the major distraction of the snowstorm. They had a normal game for the first time in a while, and they just they just picked the Patriots apart. I feel like it could have been so much worse than 24-10, to 10, and I felt like no matter what the Patriots did, they weren't going to, to ever erase that deficit. Going into the fourth quarter, Peter, when it was 24-7, 
They're down 17, and yeah, we saw the Vikings somehow come back from 17 late in the third, but this Patriots team just doesn't have the firepower to score against the Buffalo defense, especially when the safeties are dropped deep, you can't get the ball down the field, you can barely operate an underneath offense. It just wasn't going to happen. As demonstrated by the concession from Belichick that came when it was 24-7 and they punted with about 10 minutes left. I mean, come on. You've got no chance at that point. You're just trying to keep it from being 31-7 or worse by punting in that spot. So that was when people are talking about Belichick not using his timeouts at the end to try to get the ball back and, in theory, score a touchdown and, in theory, recover an onside kick and, in theory, score another touchdown. He, He threw in the towel when he punted with about 10 minutes left. Hey, Mike, listen, last night, um, I think most people who love the Patriots basically thought, okay, we were not as good as the Bills last year in the playoffs. It wasn't even close. And so, but we've gotten better. And look what we did at Minnesota. Mac Jones throws for 382. We can be competitive with the Buffalo Bills, and we need to be competitive with the Buffalo Bills. And that was an absolutely pathetic performance, particularly on offense. Thank God for Josh Uche and and um, and Matthew Judon and the and the pass rushers who at least kept the score respectable. But here's the one thing that really stuck out to me last night. And it happened about 40 minutes after the game. And that is when a succession of Patriots, essentially in a place where nobody ever says anything, that a succession of Patriots came somewhere between hinting, hinting strongly, and flat out saying, our offense is not a well-called well-run, well-designed offense. And to me, what cries out after that last night, and Belichick will silence it because he always does, but what cries out to me is all year, everybody has questioned whether Matt Patricia is good enough to call this offense. And when you have a young quarterback and a young receiver group basically calling out without mentioning him by name, Matt Patricia, for not throwing the ball downfield. When everybody in America who is even a third-grade lip reader can can understand exactly what Mac Jones is saying, which is throw the effing ball downfield, will you please? Uh, You know, so that to me, because, Mike, this doesn't happen in New England. It doesn't happened in New England and now you've got a quarterback who is seeing his season go down the drain and look let's say this about Mac Jones you know I'm not sure that he's the perfect one to be saying this but in fact he's really about the only one who can be saying this because he's on the field he's the captain of the ship you know Mac Jones is, is has thrown seven touchdown passes all season and we're in December so he's not exactly the one you look at and say, man, this is, you know, this is Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or whoever complaining. You know, this is a guy who's really struggling 
to get his career on the right track. But I thought that was the most interesting thing last night, that we now have basically the players on a team that has been absolutely, totally in line forever, openly questioning what they're doing on offense. I've got two points to make, and I am going to use them as the bread on a sandwich that has Mac Jones' comments after the game in the middle. But before we play that for you, we have seen Tom Brady in the past on the sidelines giving the business to Bill O'Brien, giving the business to Josh McDaniels. But when it's time to speak after the game, Brady has always slipped back into Stepford (laughs) Patriot mode. And they are the yeah. Stepford Patriots. They are. I love when you call them that on say, the uh, on your site this morning. <laughs> the Stepford Patriots. But that's what they are, and that's what they've been. They are robotic, and they never stray yeah. from the very intense training that is beaten verbally and emotionally and mentally into them to don't say anything, don't stray from the script. Here's Mac Jones after last night's game. Straying just a little bit from the script, along with Bill Belichick responding to the frustrations of his offensive players. Obviously, just kind of let my emotions get to me, but, um, you know, we're kind of playing from behind, and what I said was about throwing it deeper in the short game. You know, I got to execute that part better, but it's the short game that we kept going to, which was working, but I felt like we needed chunk plays, and, um, you know, I shouted that out to kind of get everyone going, and... That's emotional. That's football. I'm passionate about this game, and um, obviously, you don't want to get your emotions let you know get the best of you. But um, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it. Like it wasn't directed at anybody. Just emotion coming out, and we kind of needed a spark. So um, when you're playing from behind against a really good team and a good offense, you need to go out there and make better plays, and, and that starts with me. So um, definitely wasn't good enough by me tonight. And um, all you can do is watch the tape and see where we can get better. But playing catch-up's hard. Um, we didn't want to do that all game, and um, I didn't do a good enough job getting ahead early and um, making it work. Do so. you think it's hard to keep players from getting frustrated against an offense like Buffalo um, when you're not incredibly ing- aggressive through the air? I don't know what players are you talking about. Your, sorry, your offensive players. I don't know. You have to ask them that. So here's the other side of it. And this was an issue earlier in the season. It came to a head when Mac Jones was injured. He had that ankle sprain. He suffered against the Ravens and he missed time. And there was some tension within the organization, specifically coming from Mac Jones, that he was ready to go. Bailey Zappi was playing. There was that group of Patriots fans that was rallying around Bailey Zappi. And at the core of that consternation was the simple fact that Mac Jones isn't thrilled with Josh McDaniels being the offensive coordinator last year when he was a rookie and Mac Jones developing very quickly as an NFL quarterback. And now Mac Jones is stuck with the combo platter of former defensive coordinator turned head coach turned jack-of-all-trades in New England, Matt Patricia calling the plays, and Joe Judge, former special teams coach, turned head coach, turned quarterbacks coach, being responsible for the position. 
it isn't conducive, Peter, to your point, to the development that Mac Jones needs. He got a glimpse of what it's like last year with Josh McDaniels. Now he feels like, I believe, based upon the things I've heard, and it's, it had gone away, but I think it's going to come back. It's obviously bubbled up to the surface during the game, and, and he was more candid about it after the game than he's ever been candid about anything at a press conference. There's frustration there, and they're going to have to do something after the season. They've got to do something. And they probably were hoping Josh McDaniels got fired by the Raiders so they could bring him back as the offensive coordinator. I don't know what they got to do, but they got to do something to get this back to what it used to be because even though Bill Belichick gets plenty of deference for all the Super Bowl wins, I mean, this is akin to when Andy Reid took Juan Castillo as the offensive line coach and decided to make him the defensive coordinator. We knew it was going to be a disaster, and it was. And we all suspected this would be a disaster, but a lot of people bit their tongues because it's Bill Belichick. You know, Mike, I think any time that you see a game for a a proud franchise at home, national TV, I think any time you see a game like that, that that team has been targeting a very, very big game for the New England Patriots, And then they come out and lay a series of eggs. But the most interesting thing in that game that happened in that three-hour period of the game is that the Patriots had one explosive play. One. And it was, I don't want to say a fluke play, but it was one of those, I, I think, because look, we're not in there. We don't know how it was imagined how it was developed. They took a defensive back, a smurfy defensive back, who won the game against the Jets with a punt return and said, he does something that nobody on our team can do, which is in his combination of speed and quickness, we can shock the Buffalo defense by throwing him out there for his first snap of the year on offense. And we can get him the ball in space and see if he can make something happen. Lo and behold, 48-yard touchdown. So, and Mike, that was it. That was the only play in the game that was even remotely explosive for the New England Patriots. And you've got to look at your team, the team that you have put on the field if you're Bill Belichick. Like, all you're trying to do right here is get the guy in space. And you do, and he outruns everybody. So that's great. That's wonderful. That's exciting. That gets the crowd fired up. But but then what? Then what? What happened after this? Absolutely nothing. This is almost, if you're a Patriots fan, it's almost depressing. Because this is what you have to do to compete with the big bad Bills. You know, a play that you pulled out of your rear end that works, that you're not going to, I don't think, use regularly, you know, unless you plan to use him on offense more. And who knows, maybe they will. They did it with Troy Brown, using him on both sides of the field. They've done it with other players. But uh, I don't, so I don't know what they're going to do. But the point is, he was not drafted to be a slot receiver or you know, uh, you know, sort of a running back to to be, uh, you know, put in motion and to, to have jet sweeps or whatever. He was drafted as defensive back and a returner. 
So all I'm saying is, it looked to me from watching the game last night that the gap between the Bills and the Patriots is exactly the same gap as it was for years between the Patriots and the Bills. And Mike, I got to tell you something. Last night, one longtime NFL scout who I've known for, I don't know, 25 years, I'm watching the game and I get a text in the, about the third quarter. And this, this person said, you know, putting Mac Jones and, uh, you know, it's, or, it's a bad look for Mac Jones to be on the same field as Josh Allen. And I think that said it all. But that right now is what the Patriots have. They've got to figure out a way to be competitive with the new Tom Brady in the division. And his name is Josh Allen. And when I saw the Marcus Jones play last night, one of my first thoughts was, God, what Devin Hester could have been if he had a coach that knew how to take the skills that he showed in the return game and harness them properly on offense. Devin Hister was never the guy that was going to run down the field and get open. He's the guy you get the ball in his hands and just say, do the thing you do when you get the ball in your hands on a kick kick return. Just do that. You can't teach that. You can't coach that. That's all instinctive, and it's based on raw ability. And then, Peter, to your point, that's all they had. They fired – a cannon with one ball. It's like those muzzle loaders yeah, that they yeah. fire, the muskets. Yeah. It's got one ball yeah, in it. Yeah. By the time you get the next one in there, the game's over. And that's all they had. And it made it more glaring that that's all they had. They had the one play. They used it at the right time to go up 7-3, to three, and then it's 24-7 to because they didn't have anything else. They didn't have any answer. Now, now, part of the problem was the Bills' defense was making it hard to go down the field. Kirk Herbstreet and Al Michaels broke it down very well last night, how they had the single high, one deep safety, or the two safeties deep, and there was no way to get a guy like Devontae Parker open down the field. It was just impossible. So, but, but if you have Josh Allen, to your point, the impossible becomes possible because Josh Allen can fire a missile through those defensive backs and to the guy that he wants to get the ball before they can even realize what's going on. And the one last point I want to make, and this bubbled up this week, I think it was Jeff Howe of The Athletic, who previously was with one of the Boston papers, I believe the Herald. So he's got ties to the organization. And when he speaks about the Patriots, it's got more baked in credibility than others on a national platform. He was looking into the crystal ball and trying to get ahead of the looming game of musical chairs for veteran quarterbacks, which has become an annual thing in recent years. It was nothing forever. And now every year there is a group of veterans that move from team to team. He put Tom Brady possibly going back to the Patriots. Why would Tom Brady want to go back to the Patriots given where they are now and where the Bills are now? The Dolphins are now, and the Jets are now. You're 6-6 six and six and sinking like a stone in fourth place in the division. And unless they plan other major surgery to the roster and the coaching staff, Tom Brady, unless he just, it's like Elvis in, in, in Vegas late in his career and he's just cashing a paycheck, coming back home and being the hero, you're not going to win a lot of football games. 
but you can come back home and you can be the hero. I don't think he'd be interested in that, Peter. I can't envision him wanting to go back there. The only, you know, Mike, the only way I think, and, and again, look, this is, this is a topic for 45 shows uh, after the Super Bowl, you know, because every show you have after February 14th or whatever day the Super Bowl is, every show I guarantee you will have a segment on Tom Brady and will he or won't he, okay? But, but I guess this will be, the, this will be the, the sort of first take about this. And that is that I think the only way that Tom Brady will play football in 2023 is if he thinks the team that he is on has a good chance to make it to another Super Bowl. I mean, that's, and and I have no idea. I spent a little bit of time with him in Munich and I don't have any idea what he's going to do in his future. I, I, I don't know. All I know is that I think if he ends this season strongly and ends this season playing well and feeling healthy, I mean, there's no real reason why he wouldn't play again. But again, I have absolutely no idea about it. But I also think that if he thinks the Bucks are a sinking ship at the end of the year, he's going to go and respectfully say, will you please, uh, you know, just let's let's have an amicable divorce. You know, even though... You know, he is a free agent at the end of the year. He's got all those void years in his deal. I guess the way I look at this overall, Mike, is if you were going to pick a team after this season, you know, would you pick a team that you didn't think was the best team in your in, in its division? Or with the addition of you would be the best team in the division? And... There's no Tom Brady, even in his prime, I'm not sure added to that team makes it the best team in the division with Josh Allen and the skill level of the Buffalo Bills. And look, I didn't want to take us down that rabbit hole, but it became a thing this week. Oh, why not? That article landed. (laughs) Everybody, everybody, everybody glomming onto this possibility of Tom Brady riding the white horse back to New England and changing everything. Our point is, anybody that watched the game last night realizes they are not a 46-year-old quarterback away from turning this thing around. And the path, much more difficult than it was in the days, as you said, four years ago, the tables were turned. The Patriots were the top dog, and the Bills, no matter how hard they tried, couldn't gain ground. The Jets and the Dolphins couldn't even get out of bed in the morning. They were that bad. So everything's turned upside down now for the Patriots, and uh, I I can't see why I'd want to go back there. Speaking of the Bills, they get their first division win of the season. We had that graphic we showed yesterday. It was just glaring. Here are the Bills at 8-3 and 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 0-2 in the AFC East. That shows you how difficult the division is. They get the rematch with the Jets coming up in nine days. But they have become... A very good the division record. Yeah, there it is. One and two. They're atop the division at nine and three, and they're underwater in their own division. But they have become, especially in the aftermath of the Viking game, Peter, I, I think that we, we forgot about this. Chris and I didn't mention it yesterday as part of PFT Live. I remembered to bring it up in our picks podcast where we go over every game. And the point is 
they, they went through a lot of crap two weeks ago when they were buried under a lot of snow. And they dealt with that issue incredibly well. And it was one of those authentic, genuine moments that you can't go out and engineer. It just happens. And then how you deal with it either makes or breaks the balance of the year. And it got them all, I think, to come together. They got the two wins in Detroit against the Browns and then against the Lions, barely against the Lions. But last night they looked like the team that we expected them to be wire to wire all year long, even without Von Miller. Von Miller, the guy who was supposed to be the difference maker down the stretch and into the postseason, and who knows when he'll be back. They put him on injured reserve yesterday, just two days after he basically said, I'll be back and I'll play against the Jets next week. Well, now you won't because you're on IR. But even without him last night, they, they were the team. They played like the team and performed like the team that we expected them to be and that they have been most of the time this year, but not nearly enough for their own satisfaction because, hey, they're no longer the favorite to win the Super Bowl. They're no longer the favorite to see Josh Allen win the MVP because of some of these games they've lost and some of the mistakes Josh Allen made. And we didn't see as many last night. We did see a fumble at around the 40-yard line. But, you know, we didn't see the, the unfortunate throws into the end zone or close to the end zone that got intercepted. So they've ironed out a lot of things. And I think they're in a good spot now. And, and this is where you want to start rounding into your final form. They got five games left. And then it's single elimination time. You want to start peaking as we get into December, and they started December the right way. Mike, uh, so if we look at the Buffalo Bills and look at what they were 12 days ago, okay, they were a team, they were a team that was sort of reeling. And, you know, when you're six and three, that's not exactly reeling, but they had the whatever six feet of snow, five feet of snow that they had to sort of overcome and they had to figure a way to get people out of their houses and, and you know, on these buses to the airport and go play a game. And, and I remember after that first game when they beat Cleveland, I, got, I talked to Sean McDermott on the phone, the coach of the Bills, and one of the things he said to me was, he said, listen, Basically, into each life, a little rain must fall, <laughs> you know, and and into every season, you're going to have adversity. And he said, how do you handle it? What do you do? Do you make excuses? Do you start to think, oh, my God, it just isn't our year and, and all that stuff. And Sean McDermott was very plain in saying we have and I know this is cliche. Every coach will say it, but it was the conviction behind his words that day to me, which is, you know, we're going to handle this. We're, we're okay. We're fine. You know, and they also had the assist of knowing that there is no community in the NFL that backs its team and helps its team tangibly in this case with snow plows, you know, and, and snow shovels that helps its team the way that the, the area around Buffalo and in the city of Buffalo helps its teams. But I'll, I'll, just, I'll just say one other thing. If you take all three of those games in 12 days, Cleveland, Detroit, New England, you know what you'd say? You'd say every one of those teams is a respectable, hard-fighting, competitive 
NFL team. None of those three teams are a Super Bowl team right now at all. They're, none of those teams are a deep into the playoffs team. But they're all respectable and on a given day can slug you in the jaw and can beat you. And the Buffalo Bills in three games in 12 days with the, all the little crap against them and big crap against them and losing Von Miller and all that, you know, they go three for three and they are now only a Cincinnati win at home against Kansas City on Sunday, from which is pretty logical and very well could happen. I'm not saying it will, but it's certainly possible from again having home field after they had been given up for dead at six and three and say, oh, well, they'll probably win the division. But, and look, they've still got to fight off Miami uh, and they've still got to fight off the Jets. I get that. But Buffalo, I think in the last 12 days, really good things for the psyche of this team have happened uh, that will hold them in good stead over the last two months of the season. You know, we assume that distractions are always bad things. And I went through a period a few years ago where I was working on this take where, hey, every play on a football field is inherently a distraction because someone across from you is trying to do something diametrically opposed to what you're doing. So you're living in distractions all the time when you're performing as a football player. But some distractions can be good, Peter, because after that Vikings game, and they land at 6 and 3. And 6 and 3 is a good record, but not when you are the team that everyone expects to win the Super Bowl. I've made that point this week as it relates to the Bengals. Why in the hell aren't the Bengals getting more attention? Why haven't they gotten more attention? They're the defending AFC champions, but who entered the season as the presumed AFC champion? It was the Bills. They had the target, and they haven't done anything by way of getting to a Super Bowl. They haven't been there in almost 30 years. But they're the team that's got all the pressure, all the expectation. And I have been watching from time to time to see if they are feeling the weight of that expectation. Is it dragging them down? Is there a concern by a guy like Sean McDermott? If I don't finally get these guys over the top, is ownership going to say, well, we got one of the most talented teams in the league. Maybe we need a new coach to get us over the top. Those are things that you would worry about in a quiet moment, I would think, if your team is not performing up to that very high bar. You throw in the snowstorm. You throw in the day or two of panic where players legitimately wondering, are we going to get everybody to the airport? And are we going to get to the point where a plane can even take off to Detroit? And everybody kind of comes together. They forget about all the other crap. And it works. And you get the win over the Browns, the win over the Lions, the win over the Patriots. And this win over the Patriots, I think, just gets the Bills back, I would believe, to the mindset where we are who we were supposed to be. Now let's just go take care of these last five regular season games. Try to get the one seed back from the Chiefs, and if not, either way, we go into the postseason feeling pretty good about ourselves and our chances to finally get back to the Super Bowl for the first time in 29 years or 28 years, however many years. I think it's 20. I think it's 29. I think it's 29. Um, but uh, regardless, I think that helped them. And, and again, you can't plan it. You can't script it. You get lucky. And also, you do a good job of turning what could be a very big negative into a positive. So, I think that if the Bills achieve what they're trying to achieve, the turning point is 
the days after the loss to the Vikings when the snowstorm of the millennium was bearing down on Buffalo. You know, Mike, there's one other thing, you know, as you were talking, I, I kept thinking about this. In many ways, you know, because of the way the schedule fell and they had the huge snowstorm and then the short week game on Thanksgiving going to play a totally revitalized Detroit. I mean, that's the best Detroit team we've seen in a long time, I think, just in all ways. You know, they're they're dangerous. But if you look at this schedule right now, you might say, you know, hey, that's a pretty advantageous schedule uh, because you've got three of the last five at home. You have finished all of your division games, and all of the division games so far have been on the road. Now you make every team in the division come to your place in the last month of the season. You've got three of five at home. You've got a game at the Bears, which should be handleable. And then you've got a very dangerous game against the Bengals that the Bengals will need, obviously. But my overriding point on this, Mike, is that if you are a football team that has had some adversity and had some injuries and you're a little bit tired, maybe pretty beat up, what is the big advantage in December? And I'll tell you what it is. It's extra time off. The Buffalo Bills now have four days to basically kind of put their feet up, you know, to 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 rest, which late in any NFL season, every coach, every strength and conditioning coach will say, get off your feet, relax, rest. You know, you're everybody's in good shape at this time of year. So you're not going to get out of condition by spending three or four days just basically, you know, doing either rehab or nothing. And that is a huge advantage to the Buffalo Bills. Conversely, conversely, look at the New York Jets. The New York Jets have two straight games against teams coming off a mini bye. And so, you know, that's that's a disadvantage, obviously, for the Jets. But But I just think right now, this season, you know you've got to play all the opponents on your schedule. I like the way the schedule falls. And it's a tough schedule. But I like the way the schedule falls. If I were Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott right now, I would be happy that the schedule is falling the way it is. Especially, you know, you, there are other little things. You know, Miami coming to Buffalo when it's going to be pretty cold. You know, and just as Buffalo suffered in the heat of Miami, you know, uh, in September, now Miami will suffer in the heat of Buffalo. And by the way, how about how about Miami on a three-game road trip? you know, in pretty disparate climates, you know, starting Sunday in Santa Clara, uh, you know, and then ending up in uh, in Buffalo in week three of that of that road trip. Miami's got it tough, but but I just think that Buffalo right now, you know, I, I'm not saying, you know how that the, the old talk show host thing when they say, hey, would you sign for being nine and three with five games left? knowing that you've got, you're coming off a mini buy. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll sign for that. 
I, I, you know, I'm not sure that anybody inside the Bills would say, oh, we'll sign for three losses in our first 12 games. But the way it sits right now for Buffalo, they control their fate, assuming that Kansas City does not run the table the rest of the way. Yeah, one loss by the Chiefs, and all the Bills have to do is catch them if they can keep winning. One game that really stands out to me in the schedule, and look, we are getting to the point in the season where the non-flexible, for now, Monday night games can end up being not all that compelling. The last Monday night game of the year, January 2nd, Bills at Bengals. That is going to be oozing with implications because the Bills will still either be trying to catch the Chiefs or hold off the Chiefs, and the Bengals are going to be trying to win the division, and who knows where it is between now and then. The Chiefs stumble a little bit. Maybe the Bengals, if they keep winning, if they beat the Chiefs on Sunday, make that game even bigger because the Bengals can thrust themselves into the race for the number one seed in the AFC, and they get a chance to play the two main contenders between now and then in the Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. But that last Monday night game of the year is very, very significant. And, you know, the Von Miller angle, Peter, I thought of you when he got injured last week because you had explained, after talking to Brandon Bean before the season, the whole mindset, the idea, keep him on a pitch count. He's a closer. Keep him fresh. Keep him, yeah. keep him ready for the games that matter most. Now he's got this lateral meniscus tear. And as I mentioned earlier, on the Vaughn cast Tuesday, got the impression he's coming back next week against the Jets. He gets put on IR out of the blue yesterday afternoon, so he will miss at least the next four games. You know, if you get that thing repaired, the meniscus repair takes a long time to recover on the back end. I've gotten the impression that he's going to play with this thing. The question is when, and if he misses the next three games, the first game he will be back for eligible to return for is that Monday night showdown with the Bengals. And that's when you are kicking it into overdrive and you're getting ready for the postseason, which is precisely why they spent the money on him to have him make a difference when it's time to see Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow or Lamar Jackson in the playoffs. You know, Mike, I, I, I knew you were going to talk about that. So I just called I mean, I knew that after you started going that way, I went and looked at his snap count. And you're right. I thought that after playing 75 to 80% of the snaps, you know, for the majority of his career, sometimes more than that, I thought he'd be right around 50%. And he has been mostly above that this year. And particularly later in the year, I think the Bills got a little bit comfortable. And I'm not blaming them. You know, you've got a, a weapon like that, especially because you did have some injuries on that defensive line. But his percentages in the week before he got hurt, I'll read you his his percentages the last five weeks. 78, 70, 73, 70, and 73. And that was before he got hurt in the game against Detroit at Ford Field. And and my only my only point about that is not oh that's you know misuse by the the the, the Buffalo Bills. I don't mean that. What I mean is that especially, especially, and consider this, Mike, when you have seen Von Miller, and look, he got hurt on a totally fluky play, but fluky plays do happen in football. But my point is that 
if you see him at age 33, be absolutely comfortable. Uh, be, he's He morphed in early on into a huge team leader on this defense. On a defense full of alphas, you know, like Poyer and Hyde and Matt Milano. You know, I think everybody looked to Von Miller because, quite frankly, he's been there before. And so he was so healthy, playing so well, that that number sort of crept up. And again, no blame to the Bills at all on this thing. But the fact is, the more you're out there, the more chance you have of getting one of those fluky, freaky injuries. It could have happened if he was playing 28% of the snaps. But the fact is, he did get hurt. And now, look, I'll just say one other thing about an injury like this, which is not severe. And that is that, let's say, Mike, he sits for the next three weeks. Let's say he sits until the Monday night game on January 2. A fresh Von Miller chasing Joe Burrow on the day after the new year starts. I think that's got to make Leslie Frazier and his defensive staff and Sean McDermott salivate. So we'll see what happens. But I don't think, especially because of the depth that Brandon Bean has built in to that defense, I don't think it's going to be fatal to this team this year. And the genius may have been that they did put him on injured reserve, and he can't come back before then, so he has to sit. So there's no temptation. Because I think what happens right. is very simple. You put him on the field, and he starts kicking ass, and and you just – it's football. Keep playing. It, it takes a hell of a lot of discipline to stick to the plan to make one of the great pass rushers of our era a part-time player. When you see what he can do, how do you justify it to the other players who are out there full-time? How do you justify it to the fan base who sees what he does? And you want to do it too. The guy makes us better, and injuries are part of football, and you just accept it. But, yeah, it could have happened on any snap, but the fewer snaps you take, the less likely that fluke is to occur statistically. So the best way to keep him healthy for weeks 17, 18, and beyond is to ensure that his snaps will be 0% until then. And, hey, he believed he was ready to play next week. He probably wasn't happy to be put on injured reserve, but this is the best way to ensure that they'll have him, get him kind of back into proper game shape the last two weeks of the season, and then you unleash him when the postseason rolls around, and maybe he gets a week off before you play your first playoff game if they can get back, even with the Chiefs, and therefore win the number one seed by virtue of their victory in Kansas City earlier this year. Let's go ahead and take a break. We mentioned the Chiefs and the Bengals playing on Sunday. We will delve more deeply into a rematch of the AFC Championship between the best team right now in the NFL and a team that's pretty damn good but still flies under radar in the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll discuss that next on this Friday edition of PFT Live. 